everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Entrepreneurs Rx. Today, I have the real honor and pleasure of talking to somebody I've gotten over the last couple of years. His name is Uli Chattapali. He is a physician, he has his master's in public health, he's an emergency medicine physician, even better. And he has a couple of really cool gigs that we're going to talk about today. Uli, welcome to this. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be with you, and, and it's an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks. Well, this will be fun because I've got a lot to learn from you, so this will be really cool. Okay, so just for background, because I always said there's going to be a lot of people, myself included, who say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be you. Give us your background in healthcare first. Sure. So I started off in emergency medicine, you know, trained in Los Angeles and while I was doing a research fellowship before that, my mentor offered to pay for a master's degree in public health. And that was at UCLA. I said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And uh, that got me a little bit interested in, in the population side of health. Okay, so when I joined uh, Kaiser Permanente, it was my first and last job. Uh, when I joined Kaiser, you know, they said, oh, you know, you have this additional qualification. So when they put me on the administration track, and then I ran the department for several years as the chairman of the department. But um, yeah, that's how I got started. And I got more and more interested in the, on the business side and the research side and the technology side as, as time went on. So when did you finish your EM residency? What year? Oh, God. Uh, 1992. 92. Okay. So I've got a couple of years on you. I was 89. <laughs> so not a lot of years, but a couple of years. All right. Yeah. So you did that and then you did your MPH and a research fellowship after that? Uh, before that. All right. Yeah. And then, so you went right to Kaiser. How long were you at Kaiser for? I was at Kaiser for 27 years. Holy cow. Did you just, <laughs> did you just recently? Yes. Yeah. Not long ago. Yeah. So but, but the, you know, it was not a straight career at Kaiser. So first thing is, you know, I was on the administration track, you know, managing the department. You know, I did that for several years and got to be a little boring after a while. And so what I did was I took a sabbatical. And uh, since I was living in Silicon Valley, this was the dot-com boom time. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do a startup and uh, raised uh, half a million dollars and uh, worked on the startup, built the product, and then went for the second round of funding. That's when the market crashed. <laughs> and so I got back to my job at Kaiser because the one year was over. And um, I said, I want to do something else. And uh, one of the things I did next was a project where I started a call center for Kaiser in uh, Pasadena, Southern California. I did that for several years and got bored with that. And then I started a research network called Crest Network, which was, I think, my most significant contribution there. You know, I was the technology lead for the group. And um, it was, you know, a few of us got together and said, hey, you know, now that all the EHRs are up and running and, and we have four or five years worth of data, hey, let's look at that and see what we can do with that. And that's how it started. What was your undergrad degree in? Well, undergrad, I, I went to medical school in India. So it's biology and chemistry and um, physics. That's wow. basically it. So it's a very generic one. But I got more interested because of the startup I did here in Silicon Valley. 
Yeah. What, what was the startup? So the startup was a virtual office online. And this was before, <laughs> before video, before anything. You know, how can you run an, a clinician's office online? You know, mainly we had personal health records, prescriptions, messaging, and billing. So those are the four things that we did. It was called Clinic America. And, uh, and the patients were being seen virtually? Yeah. What so year? To 1999, 2000. <laughs> we were like 20 years uh, <laughs> to, ahead of our time, I guess. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, I did, I did MEMD in 2010, and, and that seemed like an uphill slog against, like, you know, people are like, well, wait, you're doing what online? You were 10 <laughs> years ahead of me. Holy cow. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I realized that, well, you know, if, you know, if the market is not ready, you know, you can't do anything. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, so you did that for a year. It, it didn't quite get much takeoff because the world wasn't quite ready for that yet. Yeah. And that was, you know, Amazon was relatively new then. And, um, and like Priceline had just come out, as I recall. <laughs> also. So, yeah, you were, holy cow, you were early. God, you went from Amazon to taking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got a, a real taste of not only the entrepreneurship bug, but also the technology bug. Wow, you know, what else is possible using technology, especially internet was just booming. And then, you know, what else can we do? You know, um, that's, that's what got me started on the, uh, on the research network side is, oh, we have so much data, you know, how can the data help? make uh, healthcare better, make patients better, make, make lives easier. And um, I, guess, I guess you can say that, you know, we emergency physicians, I know you are one, and we have a different kind of take on medicine. I think we have a much broader view of, of what happens in healthcare, right? You know, you know, anything that breaks down ends up in the emergency. <laughs> so you are, you are at the bottom of the funnel. The bottom know, feeders. <laughs> bottom feeders. You know, you put some uh, mud in a, in a glass of water, you stir, and, and what settles down, that's emergency medicine <laughs> for us. It's a good and way so, to look at it. Yeah. And so we have a, a different view of healthcare, and that's where I got my insight into, oh, okay, what can we do with data? So with data... And I mean, that project was where when a person shows up, let's say, I'll give you an example, chest pain, right? When a person shows up with chest pain to the emergency, as physicians, we are looking at the patient, we are taking the history, we're you know, looking at the past history, medications, and all that risk factors, right? But you know, what, what I've seen is that uh, as physicians, we have a tendency to overestimate the risk of that patient because we are risk averse. You know, we don't want to get sued. We don't want to... You know, make bad decisions and you know bad outcomes, right? But what if you can look at hundred thousand patients that came before this patient with the same chief complaint, and if you took that data and analyzed it, and compared this patient with that hundred thousand patients, and where can you fit this patient's profile into those hundred thousand patients? That's exactly what the what the concept was, and so. So right now what happens is, you know, when the patient comes in, an alert goes to the physician's cell phone saying that, hey, you know, there's a patient in room number 23 that has chest pain and is qualified to be enrolled in this study. So everything is under research. So 
And then when the patient, when the physician goes and sees the patient and, you know, they get a picture in the background, our system is doing all the analytics. And so it is taking the patient's 30 plus variables and comparing with these 100,000 patients that came before this person. And it'll give you a specific risk category. So it'll say the chances of this person having a heart attack in the next seven days is 0.003%. So you should do A, B, and C. You should send the patient home. <laughs> Don't admit the patient. Let them follow up with their primary care doctor. That's it. And the physician doesn't have to follow it. But what we have seen is that if they follow, they are on the right path because then there is less chance of missing something significant, but also there's less chance of overdoing stuff. So that's how the system works. So I, I love that. So it's basically an AI-driven natural language processing, machine learning algorithm that adds that patient into it as well. And in Pfizer, it's probably pretty straightforward because you have all the patient data and those 100,000 patients and the way they're treated become the standard of care. So did you ever have to use that data in your algorithm to defend the care of a patient in real time? In other words, that this patient becomes one of the 0.003 who does have an SM, you know, a STEMI and, and drops dead, and then they sue you. Can you hold up that, your algorithm and say, look, got the data? So a correction, I did not use AI yet on, right. in, in that system. It's kind but, of AI. Yeah, that's, where, that's where it's going. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. algorithmic-based. Yeah, algorithm-based. Okay. So, so what happens is, you know, as you do these studies, so it is clinical research, right? So what we did was 10 medical centers would use the system. The other 11 would be controls. And you do a clinical trial and see what happens. Well, after 10,000 patients, then you can now see that in this Intervention side, you actually decrease the risk of missing a patient, missing MIs, missing you know bad outcomes. So your overall risk, you know, let's say it's one percent to two percent, right? Missed MI rate. So here it is 0.5. And so you, yeah, of course you cannot you cannot make a system 100% accurate, but it is more accurate than not using the system. Right, and so that's the bottom cost, line. Yeah, and a lot of cost savings cost savings, huge cost savings, because the length of stay in the ED dropped, the testing dropped, the amount of testing, the observation stays dropped, the admissions dropped, the post-discharge testing dropped, and no major bad outcomes. So yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not a win situation. Are they, is, do you know if Kaiser is still using it? Yeah, it is, it is still active. And there are several modules we built. So just pain is one congestive heart failure, atrial fibrillation, head injury, abdominal pain. So all these modules are continuously running. So basically you're running a clinical trial all the time and you're refining the algorithm, refining the system. And then you are kind of streamlining the practice. You know, you're getting the outliers back. You know, some people may be overly aggressive. Some people may be, you know, more cavalier. And so you're bringing these people back into where appropriate care should be. Right. Between the two guardrails of exactly. That's very cool. Okay. So how long ago did you leave Kaiser? Uh, that was three years ago. I, I left Kaiser. I had an opportunity for early retirement and I said, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I want to see what else is out there. That's cool. Are you still practicing emergency medicine? No, I'm not. I clinically, I'm not doing it. 
Very good. Well, I'm, I'm, that alone's impressive after 27 years. Okay. So talk to me about, is it Serica? Yeah. So there is, uh, Serica is my startup, but there's one gap between Serica and Kaiser is that is Innovator MD. Oh, no, we'll get there. Okay. Go, so go ahead and talk about Serica first, because I want to spend okay. a lot of time on Innovator MD. Okay. Sure. Serica is a startup that I, I started. I have a daughter with autism. So autism is very, you know, I've been looking all my professional life for some solution that I can really put my thought and effort and, and everything into. And this is what it is. It is a device. It looks like an exercise machine, basically. You know, you're riding a recumbent bicycle, but you can also steer with your arms and you're pedaling with your legs. And then you add a virtual reality to the device so that when a patient is wearing it, you're actually placed in a virtual environment in a video game, basically. And inside the video game, you're riding a vehicle. And that is this vehicle that you're riding physically. So if you go faster, you go faster in there. You know, you, if you hit a road bump, you, know, you feel it because this is a robot, right? It'll jump and you're getting the whole haptic feedback and so the goal is to totally immerse the patient in this virtual environment. So you will forget that you're in a physical environment. You are actually transposed into that environment. And the reason why to do that is, is that, and at that time, you can provide a task-oriented therapy. Okay, so you have to go from point A to point B, and you have to avoid this, and you're in this beautiful forest you know, location, and you're going on a trail and you have to go over a bridge, you have to climb a hill. All those things come with this game software that you can actually control. And so the idea is that when you engage patients, especially autism patients, because it's hard for them to engage in a real world situation, but here it is very controlled. Everything is you know, personalized to that person. When you put them in, a, in, a, in that kind of a mode, the idea is that there'll be neuroplasticity that will enhance their perception, that will enhance their focus. And so it'll decrease their anxiety. It'll decrease their behaviors that are not normal in a typical sense. And so what happens is their aggressiveness goes down, their sleep gets better, and uh, you know, they focus better and they learn better. And so that is the hypothesis behind this. So you offer this as a treatment, 30 minutes a day for five days a week, and you do this. And then we expect that that physical activity and the physical challenge plus the mental challenge is what you know, we're trying to create here. And I've seen that you know, in my daughter. You know, we, have, we have engaged her in, in pretty intense physical activities, and we have seen that her anxiety came down, her focus is better, and she's sleeping better. And, and she lost a lot of weight because the anxiety is down. And so I want to transfer that into a device and be able to scale it. And so the device can be in any clinic and uh, you know a therapist can monitor it remotely or in person. So that's the idea behind Serica Therapeutics. That's really interesting. Uh, and I was trying to think of other use cases for really TBIs, any sort of cognitive brain impairment benefit from this? Yeah. I mean, you know, so this is a platform, right? Now, you know, the company that we partnered with, they're developing it for stroke rehabilitation. 
head injury, you know, brain injury is, is a good indication. Uh, post-op recovery, you know, sports injury recovery or training, dementias and you know, Parkinson's and you know, all kinds of degenerative and uh, developmental disorders or acquired disorders of the brain. You know, right. Now, would you anticipate what's your what's a go to market strategy look like? Is it you open up clinics that have this device in it or can people buy it and use it in their own home? So the first go to market is, you know, we're going to approach the clinics that are already doing other kinds of therapy and to offer this as an adjunct to their therapy, you know, behavior therapy, speech therapy and occupational therapy. So they will have these machines in their clinics and then run it. And so it's shared revenue there. But as all technology becomes cheaper and lighter and better as time goes on. And so that's when, you know, maybe five years from now, we'll have it in people's homes. That's really amazing. And your daughter's definitely, it's definitely helped your daughter. Yes, yes. We have seen in the, and the video that is circulating out there is, is, is that's the first time she tried it and she loved it. She wanted to do more. And so that's where I, I got the inspiration that, oh, wow, you know, if this can be used as a, as a therapeutic device. And so we are planning to run uh, pilot studies and um, you know, our first pilot study would be in Stanford. You know, we already have identified the people and the location and, and what we're going to test. So it's going to be fun. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, that's really cool. And you can benefit your daughter even better. That's awesome. All right, yeah. let's talk about Innovator MD. This is really fascinating. Can you explain to everybody what Innovator MD is? Sure. So before I got out of clinical practice, about five, six years ago, I started a chapter for Society of Physician Entrepreneurs because I want to become an entrepreneur when I retire, when I got out of practice. So I wanted to learn from people. So the, what's, the best way is to <laughs> start something and invite uh, experts, you know, like John, you came to Innovator MD. <laughs> and so when you organize, you know, events like this, you are listening to so many people, you're actually seeing so many things. And so your experience really explodes. So the idea behind Innovator MD is that physicians have, they're on the front line and they see the problems every day. And I'm sure they think a lot about potential solutions, right? And the solutions that physicians think about are unique in the sense that they are more practical because if they find a solution, they know that they will use it. They know that their colleagues will use it and they know that it'll solve a real problem. It's very different when a technologist comes up with a solution versus a physician comes up with a solution, right? And I've seen that in my practice. And so I said, okay, let's, how can we help physicians bring their ideas, share it with the world, get resources, get people, get money so that the good solutions can come to market. And so that's the idea behind Innovator MD. How can we support physicians who are innovating and who are getting into entrepreneurship? So give us an idea of one of your programs. I think people are going to listen to this and, and want to sign up to attend. And for those out there, I'm, I'm biased because I've, I've spoken at a couple of them. The folks there are super interesting. And like most things in my life, I, I learn more than I teach from them. But they're an enthusiastic crowd, to say the least. Yeah. So because, you know, people are seeking out this knowledge, right? So one of the programs is, you know, we have Innovator MD University, which is master classes every Thursday, 
40 masterclasses throughout the year. And so we bring in people, experts like you, John, and in several areas, in the legal area, you know, how do you, you know, how do you protect your intellectual property? How do you start a company? How do you market it? How do you build a product? How do you engage an engineering company? So simple, small things, but very important can be crucial. And so we put all this curriculum together so that within a year's time, you get a, a pretty good idea even before you jump into entrepreneurship or innovation. So you're learning. So learning is the first thing that we do. Innovator MD University, and we do two large conferences, one in winter, one in, uh, in the summer. And this one is coming up in August, our next one. Where we bring, bring, like the last summer conference was, we had 100 speakers, 100 physicians who have done interesting things and that they share it with, with, with the community. So that's the first program. And of course, we have opportunities on our website. And we do, for every program, we do CME. We give CME because we want people to take advantage of that. So there's a membership, but also you can join each event and each class. But obviously, memberships is much more valuable. Very good. And so, okay, so you have master classes all year long. You have the two large conferences. And, and then also, you mentioned uh, before that you have an accelerator. Yeah. So, and then we do meetups, just casual one topic type of meetups. So the accelerator is where we were thinking of starting our own accelerator. And then somebody suggested that, hey, you know, there are other companies that are doing this. Why didn't you partner with them? And so we uh, partnered with Founder Institute. Founder Institute is a large company. They've been doing accelerators forever. And, you know, they have it in, in 90 countries, 5,000 startups started and a tremendous uh, group. And so we partnered with them and we started this health tech virtual accelerator. And so what you can do is you can join that and then it'll walk you through 13 weeks of classes and mentorship and courses where at the end of the period you graduate. And so you have an idea, a company that could potentially be funded. That's what you come out with. Very good. And so we talked a little bit. I'm excited to with it using Accelerant Ventures to start looking at those companies coming out of there. Yeah. Um, I think that's a that'll be a very cool interplay. Okay. What advice do you have for physicians now who are coming out of residency, whether they're EM or not, on not being using entrepreneurism as a way to hedge against burnout, as a way to hedge against market downturns where they need to find another source of income? But what's your advice? So Unless somebody is offering you a full-time job, I would say stay in medical practice and start learning things. While you're practicing, you go to meetings, you go to conferences, you, go, you meet people. And as you see things, you will get ideas. And unless you already have an idea for a startup, the best way is to see what other people are doing and sometimes even join them part-time you know, as an advisor or a chief medical officer or as an investor and learn from, from that experience. And as you learn, as you understand, okay, this is how it's done. This is how, and then you, at some point you'll say, okay, now I'm going to take the plunge full-time. Or, you know, if you already have an offer somewhere to come and join full-time, just go ahead and do it. You know, experience is the best uh, teacher. So the more you do it, you'll get better at it. Totally. And, you know, I think the one thing I've seen recently, you know, I have this staffing company called Tribal Health and 
and we have a lot of folks who are, you know, they work a week or two a month, they're very well paid, and then they go do whatever else they want to do, which oftentimes is something like this. It always worried me, though, that if you're not at least engaged in some part of patient care, I always worry that once I'm out, I'm out. And so I always want to keep one foot in the str- one foot in the stream so I can say, well, I'm still doing three, five shifts a month. Um, when you retired, did that thought concern you that you were like, okay, I'm not going to practice clinically for a few years or maybe ever. So yeah, that, that is always a thought. So when you're practicing, you do it for a few reasons. Obviously, you know, you went into clinical practice because you're passionate and that's your mission to help people. And that's a good thing. But what happens is when you are working too many hours after a while, the burnout starts to hit you, you know, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years into practice, right? So in order to keep that flame burning, I would say that you should keep that to a manageable portion of your time. So typically the way I would say is that when you're practicing medicine, you're only using a small part of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Because there's so much more. And and imagine physicians are very good at learning things. They're very diligent and, you know, they're hardworking and they're smart. And so why limit your brain to such a small area? I mean, I'm I'm calling it small, but obviously, uh, you you know what I mean. So when you have other activities happening on the side, that's when you don't burn out because then your brain is fully occupied and you, you will start to enjoy the practice more than what you did before when you were doing it full-time. I say, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's funny. That's my perspective. I've, people always accuse me of working too much, but I think my outs, medicine, work outside of medicine has really kept me really excited about practicing medicine. And But for that, I think I would be like, just shoot me. You know, it's yeah. been 32 years now. But doing yeah. all this other stuff, I'm like, I'm kind of excited. I'm thinking right now I'm going to go back out and work at one of our reservation facilities in another week or so for a decent long stretch. So I'm kind of excited to go. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, God, you know, in the middle of <laughs> South Dakota in, in, in April. But most of me is like, you know, game on. I love this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then the excitement of actually seeing a patient, you know, comes back. I would definitely recommend that. And it may not fit everybody, but if you have that feeling that, oh, is this it? You get that feeling, right? You know, when you're in practice and then say, oh, okay, maybe you can make a difference in one patient's life. What if you do a, an innovation or a startup or a device or something that can affect thousands, millions of patients, right? So you are making, you're scaling your insight and skill and expertise to many more patients. And that's what I, that's what is gratifying about, about doing entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the ability to touch a lot of people, if not with direct patient care, through whatever device or app or technique you came up with. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So really, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing in Innovator MD? Because I'm, I'm hoping people will listen to this and do what I did, which was sign up. Yeah, the, the best place is innovatormd.com. If you want to connect with me personally, then um, you know, LinkedIn is the best way. Yuli K. Chetipali. And there's not many Yuli Chetipalis on LinkedIn, so it should be easy to find me. It'll be easy to try. It'll be easy. I have the same sort of name, only probably not as uh, unique as yours. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of John's uh, shoe felts walking around, which is not a bad thing for the world. 
Well, hey, th- this has been great, and I certainly look forward to coming out and working with you and your team again. Uh, the yeah. conferences you put on are very inspiring, and I always learn a lot. So thank you for this opportunity. I know I'll be in touch. Yeah, thank you for being a mentor, teacher, and a friend. Uh, we always love your talks, and John, really, thank you. really appreciate uh, what you do. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.